the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. It's time to sit back, relax, and listen to Conversations with Joan. Conversations with Joan will inspire, motivate, and empower you. Live your best life now. Listen, learn, think, and decide. And now, here's your host, Joan Herman. Welcome to Change Your Attitude, Change Your Life's Conversations with Joan. I'm Joan Herman. Thanks for tuning in. Conversations with Joan focuses on topics that are important to your life, from health and wellness to professional development to personal well-being. Change makers join me to share their insights, tips, and strategies so you can thrive and live your best life now. Thank you for taking time for yourself, and thank you for letting us be a part of your life. Now, let's start talking. There are many stories about the FBI's cases, agents, and history. While most law enforcement matters are serious, there's another side to the job. Joining us today to talk about some of the lighter moments of law enforcement is John Iannarelli, a retired FBI agent with more than 20 years of service. John served as the FBI's national spokesperson and was on the Cyber Division executive staff. He was a SWAT team member and the assistant special agent in charge of the Phoenix Division, where he oversaw the state's criminal cyber and counterintelligence investigations. He is the author of the book, Disorderly Conduct, The Oddities of My 20-Year Life as an FBI Agent. Welcome, John. Thank you so much for joining us. Joe, thanks for having me. So, John, it is really a lot of fun for me to have you back on the show. For the listeners who may not have tuned in the first time you were here... I've known John since we were kids. We went to college together. We were in the same major, and it was a very small department, and everyone knew everything about everybody. So, John, I have to start off by asking you, looking back all those years ago, and and what was it, about 10 years, right? Looking back about 10 years ago, (laughs) when you were in college, did you ever think that you would be doing the work you are today and that you would be where you are and, and achieved all that you have? Well, first of all, it's uh, 10 years ago times four. But uh, <laughs> aside from that, you know, I always wanted to be an FBI agent. It was my goal. Uh, as far as the experiences I have had and the great fortune along the way, I could never have imagined. But it was a wonderful ride, and I'm glad to have been part of it. Well, while I have you today, I mean, we're really going to cover a pretty broad range of topics. And I want to start off with your book because it is a lighter topic. And, and you know, when we think of FBI agents. We tend to think of you guys as being so serious all the time and, you know, a little stuffy. But what are agents really like? TV perception has us as these very stoic, scully and molder type figures. But the truth of the matter is in the FBI, it's all about working with people, the public, getting information. So you have to have a personality And a sense of humor goes a long way in that personality. I will tell you, the first day of the FBI, you arrive on a Sunday at the academy, you check into your room, and then the first class is at 6 p.m. And I remember the professor, the way he had us introduce ourselves, there were 50 in the class. We each had to come up to the front of the room and tell a joke. And it was the idea of getting us used to speaking to people, maybe being embarrassed or uncomfortable a little bit. But out of those 50 people, 46 were pretty funny, and the other four we could work with. Did you write this book the way you did, John, to show us the other side, to maybe make agents more human to us? Exactly my goal was to humanize law enforcement. You know, this past year has been so difficult, and it's terribly hurtful to those in law enforcement because at the end of the day, you're right. This is a very serious job with very serious work. But we all have feelings and emotions, and frankly, most of us passed up on lucrative jobs in our lives to serve our country, only to now be beaten down by a sector of the society that doesn't appreciate first responders. I wanted to show us as people that we have 
experiences, senses of humor, emotions, etc. And I thought the best way to do that would be to show some of the odd things that happen in law enforcement, much of which the public would never see, but for the fact that I wrote this book. And so, John, I, I want to thank you for your service because, you know, you're the people that we call when we're in trouble and we do have to respect what you give up. You know, you, every time you walk into a situation, you don't know what you're about to face. And sometimes, as you said, it could be a dangerous situation with a gun pointed at you. And other times it could be something a little bit lighter. So let's stick on the, the lighter side for now, because we have plenty to talk about that's more serious. What were some of the funnier moments that you've experienced, some of the, even the strangest situations you found yourself in? Well, uh, one time when I was an FBI agent assigned to San Diego, I responded to a bank robbery. Nothing unusual there. I've worked more bank robberies than I can count. Uh, what made this one a little unusual, the, uh, the Seaside Bank, and I kid you not, that's the name of the bank, the Seaside Bank, and the reason that's unusual, it was uh, robbed by a guy that was a pirate. What do you mean he was a pirate? It's like, well, he had a peg leg. I'm like, he had a peg leg. And so essentially, uh, this gentleman with a peg leg had come into the bank to rob the bank and uh, was making his getaway on foot. So he didn't get very far as a result. We wound up finding him a, a couple of blocks away. But it's things like that. It's like, what are you thinking? And that's the thing in law enforcement. There's a saying that, you know, we catch the stupid ones. Because most of these guys aren't these criminal masterminds or incredibly clever. Sometimes the crimes can be a little more complex or disturbing. But nevertheless, you run into stuff like this all the time. When you interrogated that suspect, did you ask him, like, what were you thinking? I mean, that would be the first thing out of my mouth. Yeah, the uh, one of the first questions I asked was, uh, there's got to be an easier way. Well, what's going on in uh Unfortunately, it was just your typical situation, wanting to uh, feed a drug habit. And so he wasn't doing a lot of thinking. Right. But, uh, you know, it's a commonality with criminals that they generally don't think these things out. And on a serious note, that's one of the things that I advise the public. Like when you're confronted with a criminal, these are not people that think rationally like you and I. You can't be reasoned with. You can't be bargained with. Uh, it's best to cooperate as quickly as you can to get the person out of your life and let law enforcement handle the rest. Because while they're not the brightest people in the world, they can also be the most dangerous people in the world. And I think that's a great point, John, because when we think of a, a bank robbery or, you know, maybe it's watching too much television, but we tend to think that these things are mapped out and every detail is planned where you're saying that a lot of these things are, you know what, I need money. Let's rob a bank without a whole lot of thought. Well, let me tell you another bank robbery story. So I responded to a bank robbery where the uh, person had come into the bank and written the demand note on the back of a deposit slip that he got from the bank, walked up to the teller, and the teller, seeing the demand note and recognizing, okay, this guy stood in the bank with the cameras, wrote the note, probably not the brightest guy in the world. She said to him, well, to be able to uh, cash this, I need to see some identification. And he produced a driver's license for her so before uh, taking the money. So she had all his information and knew where he lived. I had another similar situation. Walked into the bank, wrote a bank robbery demand note on the back of a deposit slip. Uh, then chickened out at the last minute and went across the street to a different bank a short time later. Well, the teller there looked at the demand note and said, well, this is not from our bank. I need you to write this out on our bank's deposit slip. And by then, she had already summoned the police by hitting the panic button. And while he's writing out a new demand note uh, on their deposit slips, the police and the FBI had arrived. So, John, you just said that if any of us find ourselves in a situation where there's a bank robbery or, or some other type of danger that we should cooperate. In addition to that, are there any other suggestions you can offer to help us stay safe when we're faced with that type of danger? Well, let me be absolutely clear. When I say cooperate, if the robber, the thief, the monger wants something from you, give it up. Your life's not worth it. You know, you have insurance. We might catch the guy, get it back, etc. But you cooperate to the point because you don't go anywhere with them. If you're ever in a situation where somebody tries to take you somewhere, wants you to get into a car, anything like that, the answer is a no. 
And I would rather you try to run away rather than being forced somewhere and take the risk of being injured in the process because your chances for survival are much better. The minute you go somewhere with somebody, they have complete control of the situation. And that's not a situation you ever want to be in. On a very serious note, one of the things I talk about is in this era of mass shootings that we have, there's that concept of run, hide, and fight. And not everybody can do all three of those things. What I encourage people to do, if you can run from a bad situation, you want to get up and run. Trust me, it's very hard for a shooter or anybody to hit a moving object. And even if you are hit, the chance of survival is great. But hiding, hiding is not getting under a table or uh, going somewhere, ducking around the corner as if it's hide and seek. You need to hide in a room where a door can be barricaded. And if you don't have the ability to do those, that's the time you have to dig down deep and fight. And I'm not talking about fighting to win a fight. I'm talking about somebody comes into a restaurant with a gun. You start throwing your plates and chairs at the guy just long enough to distract them. And then you take off and you go back to lesson one and you run as fast as you can. Those are the things you need to do to keep yourself safe. Well, John, on social media, a lot of times you'll see these stories where someone will share something that occurred in a shopping mall parking lot where someone was perhaps trying to get someone into a van or a car. If you're in that situation, the greatest thing is you're saying not to go with that person at, to fight to, to not have that happen. Making noise, screaming, that's your best chance to break free because they're not going to shoot you in the parking lot, right? In most cases. Well, it, it can be dangerous. There was a, uh, a well-known shooting in uh, New Jersey in a, a shopping center where uh, an individual was carjacked and he uh, argued with the carjackers and they wound up shooting him. That's a case of just give the vehicle up, let it go. But when somebody's trying to take you, if you can't fight to physically get away, try going limp. It, uh, a lot of times people will stay on their feet, but if you just drop and not do anything it's a lot of weight for a person to move a body that's not cooperating in any way whatsoever grab onto something and hold on to makes it even more difficult and yes scream and yell to draw attention they're going to run eventually because they don't want to get caught john this september marked the 20th anniversary of 9-11 and i know that you've done a lot of work with terrorism you've spoken about and and you teach people how to spot and even prevent terrorism. Do you think that this is something that will ever happen on U.S. soil again? Unfortunately, I don't think we've seen the last of terrorism. Uh, The public is blessed in many ways because you don't know what you don't know. There are cases everywhere. The FBI director currently has announced that there are active terrorism investigations in all 50 states in the United States and to varying degrees. There's a lot of things that get thwarted uh, that the public never hears about. I will tell you on a personal note, uh, during the 9-11 time period, I was uh, somewhat of a figure in having worked on the media for the FBI in a capacity, occasionally on the air, etc. And I had been identified as a figure of the FBI, albeit just locally. Uh, During the course of a terrorism investigation, it was determined that a couple of people had identified me and thought that I would make a good target for assassination as a way of getting back at the government, the FBI, etc. Those people were uh, here in the country illegally. They were rounded up rather quickly and deported out of the country, which solved the problem. We didn't have to worry about them carrying out an act anymore. Never made the news, never made the papers because it wasn't newsworthy. But that's the kind of thing that the FBI was able to prevent. And that's happening on a regular basis for common citizens, keeping them safe. So, John, you teach people how to spot terrorism and even prevent it. What can we all be doing to help you with your work? One of the things that I try to teach is that there's warning signs. Now, for years, 20 years now, we've heard, if you see something, say something. And the question I've always had is, why are we not telling people what they should be looking for? Especially, you know, you grow up and live in the New York area. You kind of become immune, frankly, to a lot of things because you've seen it all at some point or another. But there are some very 
significant, what we call indicators. Law enforcement doesn't profile. That's all stuff you hear on TV, but it doesn't happen. We don't care what race you are, what sex, what color, religion. None of that's important. We do care what you do. So, for example, when you look at terrorism cases, virtually every terrorism case, they engage in what we call test runs. They will walk through. We had the bomber a couple of years back that planted some bombs in New York and at a, uh, a run in New Jersey. And fortunately, nobody was killed. But we can see on video in the days before this guy walking the path and placing items in certain garbage cans where he later placed the bombs. Seeing something that strikes you as a little unusual might be a good indicator of terrorism. It's something to let law enforcement know. And that's also something just in a a neighborhood watch, just to keep your own neighborhood safe, not necessarily from terrorism, but from any burglar or anything like that. Absolutely. And when you notify law enforcement, nobody's coming out and arresting somebody. No one's going off to jail based on just a suspicion. What law enforcement will do is they'll try to identify who is this person. Before they even contact them, they'll run them through the various systems, see if he has criminal record. And when they run them through the FBI's network, if that name comes up connected to any known terrorist or terrorism investigation, yeah, then there's going to be a reason to be proactive. And it may be nothing more than just asking the guy, hey, how come you're walking around placing things in garbage bales and then going back and retrieving them later on? Explain that for me. That could be innocuous and not a problem, or it might scare them off from committing a criminal act. And we would much rather prevent an act, even if it means not getting somebody into custody, but in the end, keeping people safe. And I think what happens, John, a lot of us, we may see something, but then we think, oh, you know, I don't want to be a pain. I don't want to bother them. Do you welcome this type of information? There is no problem in ever letting law enforcement know. San Bernardino shooting, the uh, husband and wife that went to a Christmas party at his office and killed a number of people, then engaged in a shootout with the public. That was a perfect example. Neighbors had talked about, they saw them loading magazines and assembling weapons in their garage in the late night hours and early morning hours. Kind of suspicious behavior for a husband and wife. Uh, She had also posted some very negative uh, anti-U.S. stuff online. But people didn't want to be seen as uh, Islamophobic or prejudiced in any way. Again, had somebody contacted law enforcement, nobody would have been arrested. Nobody would have even been insulted. We might have done a check on the computer system to see if there is any record or interest in this person. Worst case scenario, we would have knocked on the door and said, hey, can I talk to you for a minute? You never know how something like that can prevent the tragedy in the future. It may not have done anything in this case. But at least we want to try. What are some of the other hot topics today that we should know about? Well, cybersecurity is number one right now. And in many ways, it's connected to terrorism because I don't think we're going to see the 9-11 level of attacks we've seen in the past because they're expensive to coordinate and it takes time and recruitment. But when you think of all the damage you can do from behind the computer, We only need to look at Colonial Pipeline just a few months back, and suddenly the gas prices were surging. And eventually, could we get gas at all if it hadn't lasted? The shutdown of the food supply by the meat company that was hacked. There's a lot of things you can do, and that doesn't even begin to talk about some of the other issues. We get hacks on our critical infrastructure. Uh, Turning off the electricity grid so that you don't have air conditioning in the summer hacking into hospitals that can't get into their computer networks and they have to cancel important surgeries. We had a case of people who were undergoing cancer uh, chemotherapy treatment could not get their treatments because of a hack on a hospital preventing them from providing that medication and service. These are pretty dangerous stuff and they're going to continue in the future. We need to be aware in the cyber realm. John, in addition to being aware of those things, because they're pretty much out of the control of the average person, what can we be doing to keep ourselves safe in our own life? Well, the great news is that as the average person listening, they can do something because the way these cyber hacks happen, it's not an ultra sophisticated hack where they target a hospital or critical infrastructure. What they generally do is target somebody like you and me 
who happens to work for something important. And if I can hack into your computer and get you to click on something, downloading malware, and then you turn on your computer at work, and that malware will spread, especially people working remotely now, because we're all working from home for a time there. I hack into your home computer. I've now affected your work computer as well. So just by using basic cyber precaution, being careful on what you do, that will protect your home and the work environment. And finally, it's not just about where you work. When you look at some of the biggest hacks we've had in this country, for example, starting with uh, when Target stores was hacked years back, it wasn't even Target that was hacked. It was somebody who worked for an air conditioning company that was doing work for Target and logged into the Target network. They hacked him, they hacked the company, and then they were able to hack into Target, costing that company over a billion dollars in sales that were lost as a result. Basic cybersecurity can keep everyone safe. You know, I never put that together, John. And I think most people think that that's something out there that we don't have any control. But if we each take our own cybersecurity seriously and do what we need to do on our own computers and phones, then that will basically go right up the chain and protect the country. Absolutely. When these criminals are looking to hack targets, they know big companies have money and resources and lots and lots of cybersecurity. So they go after the smaller targets. I encounter this regularly with small, tiny businesses, single owners. Why would anybody want to hack me? Because you're probably not spending anything on cybersecurity. You're probably not thinking about cybersecurity. You're probably thinking about making a living and staying in business. Or when you're at home, think about all your kids on the computer. What are they doing? Where are they going to? And then you said it, those phones that we're walking around with, those are all mini computers but I can hack into the email on your phone. Next thing you know, I am hacking into your network. And then when you're sending emails from the workplace or anywhere else, I'm in there as well. There's a lot of cyber danger. We have to take the time to make sure we're doing the right thing. John, is there a scam going around right now that you're particularly concerned about? There are a number of scams that are always going around. So one of the things I would warn listeners about is as we're dealing with the continuing effects of COVID, there are constant scams in the form of warnings of the latest, the Delta virus. Click on this link for the latest information from the CDC. Uh, the CDC is not going to send you individual information. No one actually is going to be sending you information. You've got to go look for it, et cetera. But those links that appear to be very helpful are ways cyber hackers download malware onto your system. And even more nefarious, Joan, what they do is they take over your computer and then they instruct your computer to go and hack other computers. So someday when the police come knocking at the door, it's to you because you're the source of the cyber hacks until they figure out your computer was being controlled remotely. If anything, that alone should be the incentive to make sure that you're taking steps to keep yourself safe. The book is Disorderly Conduct, The Oddities of My 20-Year Life as an FBI Special Agent. If you'd like more information about John and his work, you can visit fbijohn.com. John, thank you so much for spending this time with us and for your service. Happy to do so, and we'll continue to do it in the future. This is Conversations with Joan. Stay with us. We'll be right back. Do you feel lost on your journey to health and happiness? Then let us guide you on your path, personalized actions towards health. Your path is a series of choices you act on every day. We guide you on a personalized journey of dietary, exercise, genetic, supplement, and lifestyle choices that lead you to optimal health and happiness. Often taking the road less traveled leads to liberation. Your path is personal. Your journey, like you, is unique. Take action today. Head to bestpathforme.com. Again, that's bestpathforme.com. Hi, this is Joan Herman. Did you know that Change Your Attitude, Change Your Life publishes a free monthly digital magazine that can be read online or emailed to your inbox? Every month, nationally recognized leaders in their field provide information to educate, inspire, and motivate you. We believe in a holistic approach to life, incorporating mind, body, and spirit. Check out a copy of 24-7 Magazine, visit CYACYL.com, and be sure to tell your friends.
productive life, but sometimes we just need a little help. Our Coach on Call experts provide strategies to help you live your best life now. Joining me today is Allison Carmen, a business consultant, life coach, and author of The Gift of Maybe, offering hope and possibility in uncertain times. Allison's podcast, 10 Minutes to Less Suffering, provides simple tools to reduce daily stress and worry. Allison's new book is A Year Without Men. Welcome, Allison. Thanks for joining us. Thank you so much for having me, Joan. Allison, you say that men are usually more emotional than women in the workplace. Can you elaborate on this? Absolutely. Um, and I, I don't say, you know, there are men and women out there that are very balanced, and there are men and women that are very emotional in the workplace. But overall, I do find that men are more emotional because we forget that there are other emotions other than crying. You know, anger, mm-hmm. for instance, is an emotion. And what I find so interesting about this conversation is women are often put down women are also judged and held back because they're they're told you're too emotional to work here you're too emotional to make de- decisions you're too emotional to sit at the big table and, and make the the big decisions that we're making in a company and what, what's so interesting is i have been working at an all-woman company the last couple of years and i remember i was sitting at a meeting and a woman in the meeting started to cry and she was crying and she kept talking and nobody budged. Everyone in the meeting just stood still. They sat still and she just kept crying. And it was really so interesting is that, yeah, she was crying, but she was still productive and her behavior did not affect anybody else. That's what happens. If someone's stressed or someone's worried or someone's crying in a workplace, who cares? As long as their behavior is not put on you, as long as they're not behaving in a way that makes it harder for you, that upsets you. And quite honestly, in the workplace, I've been in situations where I find that men often are more emotional, that their anger spills over to the, the person they work with. The, the anger of the boss spills, you know, spills over to the employees. There could be resentment. Uh, there could be agitation. I've, I've been in situations where men have physically, you know, hit another person. I've never seen a woman do that. So what's so interesting and why I bring this up is I find that it, it's not that I, I'm, I'm against men or I'm putting down men. It's, it's how women are so judged for their emotions when I find them to be more balanced, less emotional, more considerate, and more collaborative quite often than men. And it's a stigma that I think is used are used used against women and I think it's not fair and I think that it's not true and I think women are highly capable people and I think they're very balanced and given the right opportunity they will often be extremely successful in the workplace. Using the example that you just gave us where a a man was angry and he let his anger out and he shared his emotions and you know everyone in the room would say oh poor John he has a right to be angry and it's valid but if a woman exhibited the same anger, she would be called a you-know-what. So how do we get past that? How do we move through the stigma to be accepted for who we are and what we bring to the table? Well, we're not going to be able to change the outside world first. First, we have to change the inside world. And the most important thing, what a lot of women do is they get to a workplace and they see the culture. You know, the culture is really not, most cultures in corporate America are not welcoming to women. Uh, you know, I think corporate America was made for men and it allows women in as long as they're willing to play the game of, of who they need to be to be successful. And the only way to start changing this is to commit to ourselves, to commit that we're going to be real, we're going to be authentic, we're going to speak our mind, and we're not going to compromise. And and now there is a little more space for women in the world, so we have to be determined to show up as we are. And that is going to be where our true power comes from. Because if we're trying to be somebody else, we're never going to be our most creative, powerful, present self. And that's when we're most successful. So you can't change how someone thinks about you. But when you change how you think about yourself, you will be a most powerful self. And then if you're in the workplace and you're upset and you're stressed and you're crying, you're still going to be very powerful and you're still going to speak your mind. And I believe that we're going to find our true place. Sometimes corporate America is not the best place. For us, but if we're whole and we're real, you know, maybe we start our own business, maybe we go back to school, or maybe we figure out a way to get a corporate job that aligns with us. So it's about, yeah, you recognize that there's a stigma, but you go within and you show up who you are, and then it doesn't matter as much. And I think that's how 
things are going to keep changing. And then also be aware of what's unacceptable behavior. If your coworker and he's a man is angry and he's putting that behavior on you, then you're going to have to find a way to deal with it in a way that you have self-respect and grace. We compromise ourselves so much because we're so worried what the world will think of us. But when we become more concerned about what we think about ourselves, that's when the world starts to change. So as we change, the world changes. And I believe women have a real opportunity here to become more powerful and to be bigger players in corporate America and in the business world on a whole. Allison, thank you so much for joining us. If you would like to learn more, you can visit alisoncarmen.com. Or as always, to hear more from Allison, you can visit our website, cyacyl.com slash Allison. We'll be right back. Welcome back to Conversations with Joan. I'm Joan Herman. Thanks for staying with us. Many of us believe that our genes doom us to the disorders that run in our families. But today's guest, Dr. Ben Lynch, believes that with the right plan in place, we can optimize our physical and mental health and ultimately rewrite our genetic destiny. Dr. Lynch is the best-selling author of Dirty Genes and president of Seeking Health. Welcome, Dr. Lynch. Thanks for joining us. Awesome to be here, Joan. So, Dr. You are a doctor of naturopathic medicine, and I want to start off by talking a little bit about you and how you got interested in focusing on genetics. Well, it's years, years ago, the, the seed was planted when I was just a kid, and I remember I was about 17 years old, and I was standing in the hallway, and my stepmom was talking with someone, uh, one of her friends, and my stepmom looked at me, and she said, you know, uh, schizophrenia uh, runs in your family, and uh, it really tends to show its head when you become a teenager, you know, an adolescent adult, uh, you know, a young adult. And I, I'm thinking here okay, in my head, well, that's uh, about a year from now. So I'm just going to wake up one day as a schizophrenic. Uh, that made me very uncomfortable. So, you know, right then and there, it was uh, planted in. And then I also heard, you know, many, many, many times growing up, well, alcoholism runs in your family. So, you know, you're next man, you know, this. I, I don't think I'm going to become an alcoholic. And thankfully, I'm now 46. I'm, I'm neither schizophrenic. I'm neither uh, an alcoholic. And, you know, I do have moments of, of mental uh, craziness like we all do, especially this year 2020. Mm-hmm. Um, and then it, it kind of showed up again in the clinic later on in life when I realized I wasn't the only one having these same thoughts. Um, and also when doctors would apply the same exact treatments for depression or anxiety or heavy metal uh, chelations um, or environmental removal of various uh, you know compounds that people were exposed to, they'd use the same treatments, but other people would either do very poorly or they would do better or they would do nothing, no change. But they had the same symptoms. They had the same exposures. So what's different was in my head. And uh, I started thinking, well, genetics must be a component and it definitely is. Okay. So let's talk a little bit more about that because what you just described, as you said, so many of us feel that way that we think, you know, for me, for example, my mother had heart disease, my father had lung cancer. So, you know, if I was taking the genetic standpoint, I would say to myself, the odds are I may have heart disease or lung cancer. So that's the way many of us think and what we believe. But the science of epigenetics proves otherwise. So can you explain to us a little bit more about how all of this works and the power that we actually have? 100%. And I I just want to quickly state right now for people that we have genetic susceptibilities to schizophrenia or cancer or, you know, various other common conditions, you know, hypertension and so on. But if you know what those susceptibilities are ahead of time, and then you look at your genes and you're understanding your genetics, then you say, okay, well, these are my, these are where my susceptibilities are. This is what I need to do with them. So let's put a very simple thing. People use car analogies all the time, right? So if, if you, if you walk into your car and you see that your right rear wheel is a bit low, do you think you're going to be going the same speed limit as you normally would? Are you going to be cutting corners and turning sharp? You know, or are you going to look at that and take an action and say, you know what, I can't pump up my tire right now, but I'm going to drive this somewhat gingerly. When I go around corners, I'm going to take it a bit easier. And then when I finally get to the gas station, insert those quarters and, and you know, fill up the, the hole in the tire, you know, I should be good. But, you know, is that the real fix or do I actually need to go and fix the tire even better or, or is that it? And I just need to keep an eye on that and keep on uh, air in the tire. That's the same thing. 
And that tire has a job to do. The, the job of that tire is to keep that car moving in a safe forward, you know, safe direction, uh, in a safe way. Our genes are the same. They have jobs to do, and they have to function at their best. And when genes don't have the tools or the resources to function at their best, they can't. And so what happens is other genes step up to compensate for that one particular gene, like the three other tires in that one car will compensate and and help the car move forward even better than that one flat one. But over time, those compensating genes are going to get overworked and they too will start failing. So ultimately, what you need to do is figure out which genes are susceptible and then you take action. And the epigenetics, as you said earlier, the, the genes get their instructions from you for the most part. Yeah, we have maybe you know, a certain hair color, you know, I'm brown hair and I have hazel eyes and I have lighter skin. You know, that is genetically hard coded in my body. Done. Fixed. I can't change that. But what you can change is how you're thinking, how you're moving um, in terms of uh, energy and your ability to fall asleep at night, to wake up in the morning. All these things are very, very adaptable and agile. Well, and that gives us a lot of power, doctor, because like you're saying, we have, you know, we start out with the genetic blueprint, but then we can control our environment, our thoughts, our food, our movement, our sleep. That really does give us so much control over the way we live. Yeah. I mean, how many of us use Google Maps, you know, or or Apple Maps when we're driving? Mm-hmm. And you have your usual route to get to, to work or, you know, vacation and you're, you're doing these things, but you're checking, you know, and oftentimes my wife goes, well, why are you using Google Maps? I said, I've told you, honey, you know, I use it because sometimes there's an accident up ahead and I will use an alternate route. So, you know, you have the ability. We have maps. You know, our genes is, are hard-coded in our body, but we have the ability to understand once we can see them, you know, where the sticky points are. And, and if it is a sticky point there, can we optimize the function of that sticky point and clean it up? Or do we have to go around an alternate way if that one particular gene is really, really stuck and not, you know, able to get cleaned up? There's alternate routes. The body is inherently beautiful and brilliant because there's so much redundancy in the system. So if something fails, there's a backup. And if there's that fails, there's typically another backup. So Things are, things are really good. We have to really, really dirty our genes in order for us to get symptoms. And a lot of us tell our bodies to shut up when we get those symptoms. Headache, mm-hmm. take a NSAID. You know, fever, you take something, knock the fever down. Depression, you take an antidepressant. You get an infection, you take an antibiotic. You hear the anti, anti, anti. It's all against the body. Start supporting your body and start seeing great things. We're in the midst of a pandemic right now. And everything that we're talking about from a genetic standpoint it can help us keep our immune system strong and therefore fight off these viruses and colds and, and things that are out there attacking us. Yeah, I'm kind of shadow banned right now on social media because, uh, you know, I'm sharing research that the main, uh, you know, who knows, uh, doesn't like. So, you know, I made a post which is kind of inflammatory. Uh, I'll, I'll grant that, that, you know, we think that the virus is killing us and it's, it's not the virus that's killing us. It's our own immune system. That's mm-hmm. responding to the viral infection. Viruses aren't even alive. You know, let's start there. And if, if we are so worried about COVID-19 as a population, as a civilization, then we need to really back up and look and say, okay, what's really going on here? Why are we really getting hammered? And who is getting hammered? And why are they getting hammered? And what can we do to truly support them? Because masking up and quarantining is not a real long-term solution. So what is the long-term solution? The long-term solution is identifying the weak points, what these genetic uh, issues are, what are the susceptibilities, and what actions can they as individuals take to support those particular genes. And the, there's a plethora of things that you can do. And um, what happens with, with COVID-19 and, and infections in general, you know, let's just talk about in general, you get an infection, your body will slowly recognize it, hopefully, Some people can't even recognize the infection, but the body will recognize the infection. It will trigger the immune response to start making cells, which will kill that said infection. And then the infection will get killed, and then the body will mount a repair response. The problem with COVID is the the body will mount an immune response, and then it will keep mounting it and keep mounting it and keep mounting it until it's just insane. And now the body is in a hyperimmune state where it is just attacking self. 
And that's where you get the water filled, you know, filling in your lungs, you get the pneumonia and uh, the horrible headaches and so on. So, you know, if you know that you can take action and support your immune system from attacking itself by using things like vitamin D and glutathione. When you talk about COVID, we all feel like we're so helpless and everybody's sitting back waiting for a vaccine and vaccines are wonderful. So let me say that up front, but we're sitting back waiting for some magic bullet, which is, you know, it seems to be our mentality on so many lifestyle disorders rather than doing what you're saying and getting ourselves into top fighting form and combating the high blood pressure and the diabetes and, and all of those things that are making us sick to begin with, we're waiting for some magic to come and do the job, where it's really, you know, it sounds simple, it's, it's a lot of work, but it's getting to the root cause. It's keeping ourselves in the best health that we can be in. Yeah. And, and you know, when you, when you state, you know, it is a lot of work and, you know, it, it could be, um, it could be. And, you know, but it can be as simple as getting out in the sun more. Mm-hmm. I mean, the vitamin D levels at the peak of COVID were the lowest in the Northern Hemisphere. You know, it hit us, you know, somewhere in late, what was it, late January, February, March, you know, in those months, it's all a blur at this point. Um, but it, it hit us when our vitamin D levels were naturally low because we're indoors, we're staying warm, and the sun is not at its peak. So, you know, if we supplement with vitamin D, our immune system is more balanced. Vitamin D is a steroid hormone. Vitamin D is very, very powerful. It not only supports the, the immune system in, in surveying and um, fighting infections, but it also says at the same time, hey, now let's not get too crazy and attack ourselves. And vitamin D also supports insulin levels. And we can see that diabetics are at risk here and obesity is at risk. And if you're obese, your vitamin D is more in your fat than it's in your blood and your immune system. So now you've diluted your vitamin D levels because, you know, a lot of that vitamin D, since it's fat soluble, is hanging out in your fat. So, you know, losing weight, balancing your blood sugar, these are massively important. And getting out in the sun more is also really important. But just taking a few drops of vitamin D, you know, you know, 5,000 IUs a day um, for adults typically, and then measuring and getting your levels up above 30 um, for vitamin D is, is, is not difficult. But health is a four-letter word, as I clearly state in the book, Dirty Genes, W-O-R-K. Why do you think so many doctors today are not prescribing more of a natural way for healing? Why are they so stuck on going the pharmaceutical route at all costs? Honestly, because they're forced to. The The medical schools, the education um, is all leaning towards big pharma and big food. Um, and when they get into practice, the insurance companies um, and the licensing bodies uh, require doctors practice in a certain manner. And how do I know this information? Well, one, I'm a licensed primary care physician here in in the United in uh, Washington State, so I am a you know, practicing, where um, I'm a licensed physician. I don't see patients anymore, but I maintain my licensure. So, and I would give uh, conferences to 300 plus health professionals who would fly in from all over the world to attend my conferences, and they'd be MDs, DOs, DCs, RNs, you know, what have you. It didn't matter. Um, and we came in one room under one roof. And we all wanted the same thing. We all wanted to help autistic children. We all wanted to help, um, you know, men and women uh, who with hypertension and or pregnancy issues or what have you. It didn't matter. And we all wanted to help them, you know, using the most natural methods possible. Doctor after doctor after doctor uh, would come up to me as an MD and say, I try to implement in this practice, uh, this, this stuff in my practice, and I, the board um, comes after my license. Um, or my license has been revoked, or, you know, the insurance companies are dropping me. So they are, they go to, into medicine because they want to help people, and then they are forced into a system that doesn't let them do it the way they actually want to. It's the way they have to. And um, it's, it's very, very unfortunate, and it's very, it's awful for the patient because, you know, we, we get mad at these doctors for doing that, and we try to find doctors who will do the will utilize natural methods, but truly they are hogtied, handcuffed, and uh, I, I hear it constantly. Is there anything that we as healthcare consumers can do to help make change? Yes, your wallet, your wallet. You know, it's, it's wherever you spend your money is where resources go ultimately. 
if you really believe that the ice bucket challenge is for the better good of, of people, then you're going to give money for that, right? But ultimately what you're doing is you're giving money to drug companies to you know continue drug development and they get richer. If instead you understand that um, there's other organizations or other companies that go about things in a different way, in a more natural way, and you give them your money that direction, you're going to make change. So it's it's down to your wallet. If you walk in the grocery store and you are buying, um, you know, foods that are sprayed with pesticides and herbicides, you're supporting that industry. If you don't, then you're not. So, you know, you don't think you have an impact. You have a massive impact. And that's one thing that I've been shadow banned on social media for is because I've been speaking up just like I'm speaking up here on your show. And I appreciate you, um, you know, permitting that, Joan. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's, it's uh, you, you got to speak up and you speak up with your money and just shop uh, accordingly. And I understand that some of these things are expensive, um, but, uh, you know, and it's not so many companies own so many different things. It's harder. Um, so it, it's, it's not easy. Well, and I think a theme of this conversation is is that we are powerful, whether it be in maintaining our health or enacting change. We do have the power to do something, even when we do feel powerless. The book is Dirty Genes, a breakthrough program to treat the root cause of illness and optimize your health. If you'd like to get more information about Dr. Lynch and his work, you can visit drbenlynch.com. That's drdrbenlynch.com. Or as always, you can visit our website, cyacyl.com. Doctor, in about 30 seconds or less, what's the takeaway? What would you like to leave our listeners with? Change your mind, change your health. I mean, it's, it's that simple. Um, and, you know, mindset truly is everything. If you believe that you can, you take a step forward going towards that goal. If you believe you can't, you just stay where you are. So believe that you can do it. Mindset is truly everything. And I know it's a really scary, but just apply it to the simplest thing. Maybe, you know, you believe that, uh, you know, you can't feel better from uh, changing your diet. Well, your next bite today, your next bite, make it a healthy one. Dr. Lynch, thank you so much for joining us. My pleasure. This is Conversations with Joan. Stay with us. We'll be right back. Is being disorganized making you sick? Hi, I'm Gail Gruenberg, CPOCD, Chief Executive Organizer of Let's Get Organized, an award-winning professional organizing company serving clients who live with chronic disorganization. Being surrounded by clutter takes a toll on your physical well-being. Having piles of clothes, paper, and general stuff on the floor, tables, counters, in closets and cabinets, and even under furniture is dangerous. It creates hazards that can cause tripping and falling, which can lead to broken bones and the inability to call for help. Things stacked to the ceiling can fall, causing a concussion or more serious traumatic brain injury. Clutter that has been there a while or that blocks air circulation collects dust, which contributes to respiratory challenges. An overstuffed kitchen is a fire hazard. Blocked entrances and exits prevent emergency responders from being able to access the space easily. A cluttered space and a lack of systems causes stress, which affects your mental health as well as your body. Clutter often causes anxiety and depression, which affect the ability to sleep. Sleep deprivation leads to impaired cognition and executive function, making decisions and follow-through more difficult, which leads to even more clutter. Sleep deprivation is linked to many physical challenges, including weight gain, heart disease, impaired immunity, and diabetes. If you're ready to improve your health by getting organized, call us at 201-613-2733 or visit our website, lgorganized.com. Hello, doctor. Hi, business owner. Hey there, freelancer. Has COVID affected your receivables? Of course it has. And I'm sure you could probably use some professional help. A true test in choosing a top-notch debt collection agency is their recovery rate and the amount of money collected by the agency for their clients. That's a great return on investment. Also important today are the five-star Google reviews about their personnel and services. Wouldn't you hire a collection agency with 830-plus national reviews, over 70% of which are from the debtors that the agency was able to collect funds from? That's great diplomacy. May I suggest Kinnam, the diplomatic debt recovery firm? 
our name comes from kin, family, num, numbers, family before numbers, people before prophets. This is Vito Mazza. Reach me at 800-850-5110. When you're having a conversation in relationship and it's somewhat controversial, you probably want to be heard and be right. Quite often that's what we want. And so we're maybe a little defensive, but is that right? Or do we want a result? The result being we'd like to get along. Hi, I'm Lindsay Levinson, Quality for Life Coaching. And they are two different things, getting along versus being heard and being right. See, because being heard and right is our defense, then that connects to our ego. But ego's not really going to get you that far. If you want a result, then you're going to want to work with humility and truth. So if you've got a difference of opinion, I mean, for me, I'll quickly look for a reason to say I'm sorry. And it has to be true. If I don't know what I've done yet, then I will say, I'm sorry you're hurting. I've done something wrong here because you're hurting. But let's talk further so we can figure this out. And you don't want to talk at someone by saying you this and you that because people just shut their ears. You want to use words like we and use words like experience. I'm having this experience. I know your experience is different. There isn't a right or wrong. There's just different experiences going on here. So we just need to talk it through and land somewhere that feels really good for both of us. So you want to do a lot of that non-heated conversation so that you can both feel good, but nobody is charging at another person. It's not being heard and right. It's just working toward the positive result. Lindsay Levinson, qualityforlifecoaching.com. Look me up. I'd love to talk to you, help you in any way I might be able to. Thank you for joining us. I hope you found the show informative. Change Your Attitude, Change Your Life, we believe that knowledge is power. Take what you've learned, apply it, and live your best life now. Remember that the information provided is the opinion of our guest and should never replace the advice of a professional who knows your personal situation. If you'd like more information, visit our website, cyacyl.com. That stands for Change Your Attitude, Change Your Life. While on our site, listen to past shows on demand, read the digital magazine, sign up for our mailing list, and be sure to follow the show on social media. Until next time, this is Joan Herman. Thanks for tuning in. The preceding pre-recorded program sponsored by Maximilian Communications. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com, salemnow.com.